0: Let's start now. All right. Hey, dude. Hey, dude. What's up?
1: Chilling. What about <laughs> you? Welcome.
0: Oh, not much. I was just gonna jump right into it. <laughs> okay. All
1: no, right. No, no. Um. No,
0: I'm good. Actually, let me give you my whole life story. Okay. No. Um. So this morning I woke up at six thirty. Okay. I'm breakfast. good.
1: So that's it. That's
0: enough. <laughs> um. But yeah, welcome everybody to episode nineteen of Unfiltered. That is nineteen, so that means the next episode is twenty, which we promised a fun, lighthearted episode for that. So we are in the midst of figuring all that out. (laughs) Um, So, there's anything you guys want us to talk about, or do, or see, or taste, or touch? Let maybe not touch. Let us know. Um.
1: (laughs) Not even taste either, dude. We're in a global pandemic.
0: Okay, but we had bananas and hot water in one episode. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. If there's anything else like that, you know? Anyways, um, yeah. So, welcome back to Unfiltered. Yeah. We have probably what I think is the most exciting episode we have had so far. Yes. Or one of the most. We've had a couple that have been up there. Not trying to discredit anyone else we've had on this podcast at all. They've all been great. But I personally am very excited for this episode because we have a really fun guest on today's episode. And this guest is someone that I have known for quite some time now and who has been like a big inspiration in my life. And so I am honestly just so excited to talk to him today. Yeah. And we are going to be talking to our guest today um, about um, a different perspective of engineering and discrimination and all that stuff that we talk about on this podcast. So I don't know. I guess we got to jump into our question for Queens before we get into that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um So you want to take it away from last week?
1: Yes. Okay, so last week's question for Queens said, you have 24 coins, 23 coins are the same weight, but one coin is either heavier or lighter. All you are given is a set of balance scales which can compare the weight of any two sets of coins out of the total set of 24 coins. What is the minimum number of weighings required to identify the coin and why? So, to be honest, uh, there are multiple ways that you can go about this. And honestly, the answers are pretty long to read. So, I'm not going to read them. But the gist is that you should essentially keep breaking the coins up into groups. Um, so, first, you can like split them in half, the 24 coins, and then weigh and see which group is heavier, and then split that heavier group into. Um, another group again, and obviously try to minimize the number of weighings that you have to do.
0: Well, that's that's wow. <laughs> God, I think that's just like too much math for me right now. You it know? is, yeah, I can't. It's one think. of those days, but um, I am gonna ask the question for queens for this week, which is more of a riddle, I guess, than like a brain teaser interview question or something. But um, this. This got me when I read it and I I fell into the trap. So I'm going to go ahead and read it now, okay? So this riddle must be done in your head and not using paper and a pen. Take 1,000 and add 40 to it. Now add another 1,000. Now add 30 and another 1,000. Now add 20. Now add another 1,000. Now add 10. What is the total? Now it says, now check it with the calculator the, br- the brain sure knows how to play little tricks on us, doesn't it? So I fell into this trap. We'll go over what the answer should be and why your brain falls puts you into this trap next week. Um, but give it a try. Don't cheat and use a calculator on the first try. It's kind of interesting how our brain does this. But anyways, <laughs> or maybe I'm just terrible at math. It could be that. Maybe everyone else gets it. That's I think a high possibility. Okay, great. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, um, we kind of rushed through this introduction, but I think it's because we're both just so excited to get started with this episode yeah. and introduce our guest because this is just really exciting for us. So um let's freaking go. I'm gonna have to mute that <laughs> one out. <laughs> I apologize to everybody listening to this in headphones because that's gonna hurt. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm gonna go ahead and, and introduce our guest. Some of you out there listening may recognize this person. Um, I met him about eight years ago. Um, his name is Steven Eno. Um, he was actually one of my high school teachers that I had for um, three-ish years in high school for multiple different um, STEM classes. And, um, but he got his BS in electrical engineering at Johns Hopkins University. And he currently is a coach at the Spike Lab and managing facilitator recruitment and growth at Synthesis School. Um, Some other cool things that he has done outside of his current job is he has actually launched two high school engineering programs, one at um, El Segundo High School, which is where I went, using Project Lead the Way, and one at McDonough in Maryland that combines social entrepreneurship, engineering, and design. Um, So the program is called SEED. And then a cool fun fact, because you know we always got to throw that in there, is that um, he has a tattoo that celebrates his three boys and three of his favorite pop culture pieces and he hopes to add two more key engineering culture tattoos soon. So, um, I kind of just want to jump into this and ask, what are those? You know, welcome, welcome, obviously, but yeah. what are the two more two key engineering culture tattoos that you hope to add?
2: <laughs> well, I'm Mikhail, you know me, you know what I celebrate <laughs> in engineering. I'm curious, what do you think uh, <laughs> the two engineering cultural pieces are?
0: Please let it be a quote. one of your famous quotes.
2: Yeah well, not one of my favorite famous quotes, but um, as you know, I love the movie Three Idiots. I think yep. it's, uh, okay. one of the I've
1: best. been trying to get Kim to watch this for years. Is that <laughs> the one where they go, oh, yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. So that is the greatest movie of all time. And I, would I
0: agree with that.
2: Yes. I continue, uh, as Michaela can tell you, I, I showed it to all of my engineering classes. I continued to do that in Maryland and, The last class I showed it to, um, there was one student who uh, wrote on the inside of her wrist during finals. She just wrote all is well uh, on the inside of her wrist. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to get that tattoo. (laughs) So um, I think I'm going to get all is well uh, tattooed eventually (laughs) on my wrist. That is Um, so good. (laughs) uh, Yeah, so that's the first one. And then the second one, Michaela, you may guess this one from your roller coaster projects. Okay. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I
0: have no idea.
2: <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I maybe I should explain my tattoo as it stands right now.
1: Okay. Um,
2: so I have three boys: Benjamin, Connor, and Andrew. Mm-hmm. And so, since I have three boys, I'm not going to have any more kids. I <laughs> I um, decided I got to get some sort of tattoo for them, and I love love Zelda, so I have their uh, name, yes. have their names in a Triforce, and then in the center of the Triforce. Uh, we love as a family. We love Harry Potter. So I have the Deathly Hallows upside down as kind of a warning for the oh, boys nice. in terms of what they what they chase after. And then uh, on the outside of the Triforce, I have uh, three our three favorite Studio Ghibli characters. Uh, I knew
1: it was going to be Ghibli. <laughs> yeah,
2: that represents uh, kind of the virtues that I hope my boys uh, eventually can <laughs> obtain. Um, That's so I awesome. have. I have Totoro, which represents childhood wonder that I hope they keep uh, forever. And then I have Princess Mononoke, which represents uh, courage and kind of fighting for what you believe in. Uh, then I have not Princess Nausicaa that represents kindness. And so, uh, so yeah, I just have that as a reminder for them. To so
0: if you guys can't tell, um, Eno is probably like the most inspirational person I've ever <laughs> met.
1: Yeah, I'm over here thinking, damn, this guy's like super inspirational and also that sounds like the most dense nerdy tattoo I've ever heard in my entire life, but it's cool.
2: Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm definitely a huge nerd and yeah, I try try to find ways to inspire. So yeah, so the additional engineering piece that I hope to add uh, right below the Triforce is uh, I hope to have Baymax's eyes. Uh-huh.
0: Oh, from my roller coaster, specifically my roller coaster. Okay, yes, um, I yes, exactly.
2: no,
1: I literally was thinking like, oh, what was her, um, what was her theme again? Why do I know everything about Big your Hero high school Six. experience? First of all, <laughs> and second, yeah, Big Hero Six. Okay, I had a feeling, but I didn't want to say it and sound stupid. Yeah,
2: no, your your theme <laughs> okay, for your okay. roller coaster. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I still have the tower uh, from your roller coaster. <gasps> oh my
1: gosh! It
2: has, yeah, it has traveled with me so i have the Baymac or sorry the big hero six characters um on the tower from your roller coaster. oh my gosh that's so awesome Um, well
0: i still have you'll be happy to know i have a memory box and i have um one of the you know quotes that was on the wall that we all took off and took one still in there
2: nice (laughs) that that is awesome which quote is it i I can't even remember all my all those quotes
0: i don't even remember i think i have two i don't even remember which ones they are to be honest but they're there i know that for a fact would nice. never throw those away. <laughs> that,
2: that's awesome. That is very cool. So yeah, so yeah. Big Hero Six is, I believe the I think it's at the second favorite best movie of all time when it comes to everything, wow. but but engineering in particular, I think it's a great. So are you telling
0: movie. me that we didn't get the best documentation award because we actually had the best documentation? We just got it because you really like Big Hero Six.
2: No, no. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I, I mean, you did sway me a little bit, but no, you, your documentation definitely rocked during okay, that wait. project.
0: Now that we're here, like four years later, I have to tell you something. I don't think we ever told you this. So you know how our documentation, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but we had like 150 pages in there or something because we were crazy. Right. And I remember you guys, you edited it after the first time and we were like, there's no way he read this whole thing. I think it was like 80 pages. And so for the final document, we had a whole like five pages that we just inserted. Eno, are you reading this? Eno, are you reading this? <laughs>
2: I so I I still have your notebook. So um yeah, I if but you also have to remember we edited the first version, but then the judges were the
0: ones who looked at the final version. Oh that's awkward then. That's awkward.
2: So I may not have seen the final version because it was all the judges at that point.
0: We were like, there's no way he read this whole thing. (laughs) Like you had so many other (laughs) ones Uh, to read. Right.
2: I I mean, I definitely perused, uh, but I I did my best. I tried to find the key points.
1: (laughs) Wow.
0: Anyways, still remember that.
1: this day. Steven, I feel weird calling you Stephen because to me, you're Mr. Eno, even though I've never been <laughs> you you
0: calling you. Yeah, I'm still
1: you're still just gonna be Eno to me. Like that's just I can't
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Either whatever is most comfortable, you can call me <laughs> whatever. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, Mr. Eno, it feels it seems like you have really developed strong relationships with your students. I mean, you're here with Michaela four years later after she graduated high school. So like, I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? She kind of introduced you earlier, but also what made you want to go into STEM education because you just seem really passionate about it. Yes.
2: Yeah. um, So after graduating from Johns Hopkins, I was working for a software company and uh, it was called Saba Software. And I was a technical consultant. I was uh, basically implementing software at places like Northrop Grumman, like big companies, banks, all like all over the country. Um, And I mean, it was fun. I got to travel, I got to customize software. So I was doing some Java programming, I was obviously like setting up servers and and doing these big implementations. And like, I saw this path ahead of me where, like, my boss was like, Oh, you can become a project manager, and you can start to climb the ladder like this, Mm -hmm. this and this and this. And so I like, almost got to the point where I'm like, do I want to do this for like the rest of my life and like keep climbing this ladder? And, and obviously it was lucrative. Like I could have like kept going. Um, but me, my wife at the time, she actually got a residency at Cedar Sinai. So we moved from Maryland to Los Angeles um, and I was working East coast hours still. And so I had afternoons free. And so I was like, I'm going to go coach uh, high school football hmm. So I actually started coaching football at El Segundo High School. And uh, as I was coaching, I'm like, man, this is awesome. I I love working with kids. And um, I mentioned to the coach at the time, I was like, yeah, I've thought about teaching, like maybe one day. And sure enough, the next week, uh, the principal is Mr. Garza back then. Mm -hmm. um, He came up to me the very next week at a football game and said, hey, we just got a grant from Chevron. We need someone to to start this (laughs) engineering program for us. I heard you might be interested in teaching. Like, would you want to do it? And so I was like, yeah, I mean, I would love to. Let me talk about it with my wife. And I think we were like, I think my wife just got pregnant with our first child or -hmm. something like that, where it was like, I knew that there was like, I was going to be like taking a pretty big financial Mm -hmm. step back and like starting a family at the same time. Um, but thankfully my wife like saw my passion and she was like, yeah, go for it. Like, like this seems like an awesome opportunity. We'll figure things out financially. Um, and obviously she was in her residency, so she was eventually going to make money as a doctor, but, mm-hmm. um, not at that specific moment. But, uh, but yeah, I, I took the leap and I started, uh, the engineering program. I'd also gone to high school. Uh, I think it was just an amazing, amazing opportunity. And, and I just realized like at that moment that, like there's only so much I could do with like my skill set, my, my life. Um, and I was like, I would love to try to help like other students, other uh, younger generation, like learn the skills, learn the passion to like have a positive impact on the world through engineering. And so not just um, kind of uh, try to like, pretend I was helping the world through software, like the right. software company. I was like, you know what? I want to try to actually like, put a dent in the world and, and help other students like just be inspired and and build better things. And so, yeah, that's what brought me to, to STEM education.
0: Well, you definitely did that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Th- thank you. I'm, I'm still trying. I mean, I still think I have a long, a long way to go. I mean, obviously students like both of you like are uh, definitely make teacher teaching re- rewarding. But, but I, again, I think like, I I like to think that my job is just beginning and I hopefully hopefully still have a lot of inspiration and work to be done at this point.
0: Yeah, Mm. Kim, you thought you wanted to teach at one point, but then you were like, nah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for people that want to teach and impart their knowledge on others. I think it's just not for me, I don't know, but you seem like a great, impactful teacher and I wish I had someone like you in high school Um, That would have been really great, to be honest.
2: Uh, Thank you. Yeah, don't ever close the door on education. I think uh, one of the things that I've been noticing, uh, especially now, is that I think the the barriers to education and kind of the traditional, um, I guess, borders where it goes like, oh, I'm either a professional engineer or I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's going to go away. Yeah. and I, th- I hope it goes away soon, um, yeah. but I think there's going to be opportunities for engineers and professionals like both of you to uh, to have an impact on younger generations in a much more meaningful way where it's not like, oh, I got to get a teaching credential. Oh, I have to spend, right. like, like go through the traditional hoops. Like, I think there's, uh, those are the type of programs I hope to, to kind of build because there's so much, there's so many smart people. There's so many... Um, interesting people like both of you, like with your podcast and, mm-hmm. and with everything else, like they're like education shouldn't be like this closed
1: yeah, pathway. Yeah, that's a good it point. Be like, yeah, it be a lot more open. I definitely agree with that. And honestly, it's great having you on this podcast because something that I envision for the future of education is just topics or different classes that are available that are more interdisciplinary. And it seems like you've already kind of have experience in developing a program like that, because uh, like Michaela mentioned earlier, you developed a program that kind of combined entrepreneurship with STEM. And that's kind of something that I want to do, but I want to combine science policy with engineering and, you know, maybe one day teach that, but could you talk a little bit more about why, like what made you want to launch these interdisciplinary programs specifically in high schools and like why entrepreneurship with STEM?
2: Yeah. Great question. I mean, I think in general school's way too siloed. Like, uh, like there's no reason to have everything separate when obviously in life, like you don't say, okay, I'm going to, sit down and do my English for this <laughs> paper right now. Yeah. Like you're, you're always communicating. You're always problem solving. You're always going to be using like mathematical thinking and, and analysis in some way or form. Um, so yeah, we just create like education has just created these false silos. Mm-hmm. And so like we, the, the teachers and myself who kind of launched that interdisciplinary program, like that was our starting point where like, we know this is wrong. Like we know this okay. isn't true to reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually one of our students who had all three of us separately. So the first year I was at that school, I was just teaching engineering by itself. And uh, there was another teacher teaching social entrepreneurship and another teacher teaching design and a student that had all three of us is like, you guys are all talking about the same stuff. Yeah. Like you're talking about solving problems, using the design thinking process, but you're just doing it in different ways. And we're like, oh my gosh, like, like you, you hit the nail yeah. on the head because like one like in the social entrepreneurship class, they would like find a problem to solve and then would be like, yeah, well, at this point you'd have to reach out to a designer and like figure out what it would look like. And then the design class was like, yeah, we kind of have to stop right here because we don't have any engineers to like build this <laughs> idea out. And so we're like, well, what are we doing? Like, let's just bring all this thinking together and let kids go through the entire innovation process um, all at once. And so, um, yeah, we believe in collaboration. We believe in uh, like letting students like explore on their own. So like we developed this yo-yo type of curriculum where like the engineer, kids who were interested in engineering would do like a deep dive session with me, one class and the next class they'd be back Mm. with their team. Like okay, mm-hmm. here's how we can use engineering to solve this problem. Um, talking to the other like entrepreneurship and design kind of specialists on their team, and so, so yeah, we're like, let's build basically a, a real world collaborative environment <laughs> where students can essentially build like their own companies in these different projects. Um, so yeah, that's why we we did it. We thought we we try to prepare students for the world instead of preparing them for tests. <laughs> yep. Honestly. like the most
1: valuable
0: thing. No, I agree. I think that's what I hated like the most about even undergrad. It's like you kind of feel like you're leaving high school, you're going to college. It should be different. You should be focused more on your major or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's still you're worrying about your grades, you're worrying about your tests, and like you're not actually learning this material or actually being able to apply it necessarily.
1: Um, Right now, I'm a teacher's assistant for chemical engineering senior design. And it's honestly so sad because all of my students – are just extremely concerned about the grade they're going to receive, and they expect to be spoon fed all of the information. And they're just so confused right now because they don't even know how to think about going, uh, like, uh, You know, executing this project, and it's just like you're at the end of your degree, and so the university really, or just the whole education system, really messes with students' heads because they they have this like skewed perception of what a project should look like. So programs like that honestly sound really great,
0: and that's why, like I I say, I still say, I know I mentioned this at the beginning, but I still say to this day that like I feel like I've learned more about engineering itself through that program that I did in all of my undergrad because undergrad, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's important to have those technical skills and to learn the calculus and to learn all the physics and whatever. Um, But like in terms of actually applying engineering, what? how often am I actually going to be doing those calculations? Once every six months, it's like it's more about learning to um, identify the problem and do all of those, you know, the engineering design process. And I, I think I had one class in undergrad that we kind of touched on the engineering design process. You know, obviously, it depends on the university and the school. But I still to this day, stand by the fact that I feel like I learned more about engineering as as a concept, I guess, in high school than I did it in undergrad.
2: Yeah, and that's, I mean, you both touched on major issues in the education system. And uh, yeah, things that that I hope to to continue to to kind of chip away at, and I think it is changing, hopefully a little bit. But but like you said, it starts with grades. Like I think yeah. uh, like going back to Three Idiots a little bit, like like Great. grades just determines so much of like how students approach learning, and and like you said, it 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 jades their view of what like learning actually is, and yeah. and it like from such a young age, it corrupts like their their joy and their like their understanding of beauty through learning and it's it's hard and so yeah there's lots of things that that need to change but but hopefully it's it's kind of happening a little yeah. bit um, there's lots of startups that are exploring it um, I know like one startup's trying to like basically get rid of the SAT in different ways um, actually a few different startups are but um, yeah I think it's happening a little bit mm-hmm. but uh, it's gonna take time and and yeah it's like I just I just hope students can build more. Like just yeah. create like like Michaela, like you said, like go through the engineering design process. And if 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 you don't know what that is, like use design thinking, like just use mm-hmm. something simple where you're identifying problems, you're doing some research, you're testing ideas and yep. you're gathering data and you're iterating. And and once people realize like that iteration process like is a good thing and not a bad thing, cause like like you said, school's so linear and like you get to this grade and you worry, like that just blows me away. Seniors in college, like, oh, I'm worried about my grade. It's like, yeah. this is a chance to like explore, yeah. to to fail, to try again. Yeah. And it's like, well, I don't know. But yeah. it's I, I mean, I totally understand why they're probably feeling that way.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a whole cycle because you're told from day one that especially in engineering, you need to have a good GPA to get a good mm-hmm. job after, you know, so that just like makes it worse. But yeah, it's a whole and, cycle.
2: and I think that's why I really wanted to marry engineering with entrepreneurship. And I haven't I've i have been writing a lot in my my journal about this. I haven't like formally published it in a blog post, but like I think entrepreneurship and engineering, they actually represent like two different sides of kind of a, a risk spectrum. And the more I worked in with entrepreneurship and now that I'm trying to pursue startups and do different things. Like, I think they're like, so like the the problem solving, and the thought process is similar, but with engineering, you're taught like, okay, you, you really can't have any risk. Like you over calculate, you mm-hmm. overdo all this stuff, which is good. Like you need engineering when you're building bridges, you need engineering, like when you're sending a billion dollar satellite into space, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you have to get your calculations right. You have to have like specific design processes, but on the other side of the spectrum, like you sometimes can't spend that money. You have to get things out the door fast. You have to iterate. And so that's where entrepreneurship comes in with like super, super high risk. And a lot of people, there's actually a design competition that uh, one of my mentors ran that tried to get engineers to do entrepreneurship projects and they were horrible at it. Like, and it totally makes sense because these engineers are taught like, Hey, minimize risk. And then on the entrepreneurship side, it's like, no, you have to have risk. You have to take these risks to have like a, a significant impact. You just have to take them wisely. Right. Um, so how do you marry those two? And so that's why I love that challenge with like putting engineering and entrepreneurship right next to each other yeah, uh, and seeing how students fare. And it, it tells a lot about the student, which direction they go in. Hopefully that can help them with the college they choose and, and the direction they choose in the future.
0: Yeah. Well, it really sounds like a very valuable program, I think. And I'm sure Kim would agree, but I I have one like follow up question. I guess I know like I was very fortunate to go to a school that had um, an engineering program, and obviously most schools don't have a program like that. Like um,
1: mine,
0: <laughs> like exactly like yours. It's it's not something that's very common. Like when people ask me how did you know you wanted to go engin- into engineering, I always bring up that I was fortunate fortunate enough to have this program, and that like definitely pushed me in that direction. And so many people are confused as to direction, the direction they want to take in undergrad, because they don't have these kind of high quality STEM programs. Um, So what can you do you have any, um, anything you want to say about how we can potentially in the future, make this kind of STEM education more accessible to all groups, um, whether it's in areas that are um, poorer, or um, anything like that at all, minorities, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, I have uh, a, a lot of ideas and thoughts. And, and like, I think from my perspective, especially after having like experienced uh, all the COVID shutdowns and mm-hmm. working with different families in different capacities in terms of how do they keep their kids learning, um, like, I think like, like, COVID really shed some light on kind of the cracks in the education system and the inequities Mm -hmm. and like just the overall challenges that a lot of people weren't paying attention to necessarily. Um, And so I think now a lot of parents realize either how bored their kids are or like how the content just doesn't translate to uh, real life. Like there's a lot of things that are Mm -hmm. like happening right now with parents realizing, okay, there's got to be a better way. and So I think it starts there. And I think like, like to me, we have to do a better job leveraging like the love of parents. Like, and, and that may sound like kind of weird, like what you're going to try to leverage the love parents have for their kids. (laughs) But like right now, like the school system is so adversarial between parents and teachers and the school system. Even it's kind of weird. It's like, You have one parent-teacher conference a year, maybe, and like the a lot of times, obviously the parents are curious, uh, but a lot of times the teachers are nervous and they like just want to put on a show. Mm -hmm. Like there has to be a better partnership between parents and the school system and, and teachers, and so I think once we can figure that out and we can leverage the expertise in communities, I think that's when like we can really open up opportunities for STEM because. Um yes it's great to have a big budget where you can buy CAD programs where you can have robotics kits where you mm-hmm. can do a lot but like it's amazing how much you can do with like So
0: little yeah yeah
2: so little like like simply like changing a lesson from like uh like a book like a couple chapters in the math book to all right let's even build like spaghetti bridges, like spaghetti right. marshmallows, mm-hmm. whatever spaghetti it is. marshmallows, yep. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's tons of ways that you can do it. And I think it's just how do we create like an open source curriculum where communities and parents uh, like can start to explore, start to build uh, these projects that are relevant to their community. And I think that's the other side too. Like, yes, Project Lead the Way is great. Um but we can't have a one size fits all solution. Like one commu- a community, like El Segundo, that's surrounded by aerospace corporations, mm-hmm. that's going to be a totally different like curriculum, engineering wise, than even like a couple miles away. Like you go to like um, Lennox or uh, Compton, like that, like engineering curriculum is going to look and feel very different. Um, but I think you can adapt like best practices. You can have open source curriculum available for parents mm-hmm. um, and schools. Uh, But I think that'll only happen once we basically build that, a better bridge between parents and school systems.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about that connection how important that is, but I think that's a really good point.
2: So Kim, tell me what type of school did you go to and what drew you to engineering?
1: Yeah, uh, interesting question. (laughs) So I actually went to a small charter school in San Diego, North County of San Diego, and it's... It was a great school, like one of the best – apparently one of the best charter schools in California. However, we didn't have a lot of AP classes. It was a very small school. There were only 87 people in my graduating class, around that many. And so it wasn't like very STEM-focused or anything. Um, I had one like class where I learned basic HTML. But the reason why I wanted to go into engineering was just because when I was – I. Found out I was really good at math and science, and or when I was having to apply to college, I um, toured Cal Poly Slow with my sister's husband's friend, and he was <laughs> going there for civil engineering. And when he told me, I had no idea what civil engineering was, but he said, "Oh, it's the people that like build bridges and." fix traffic and do stuff with water. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. That's all stuff that I care about. I grew up in Southern California. I see there's traffic all the time. It would be nice to like fix that problem and make things more efficient. So then I decided to apply to all the universities for civil engineering, ended up getting into UCI undeclared, took general (laughs) chemistry. Sorry. I told this story before, but I took general chemistry. Um, Fell in love with chemistry. Wanted to take organic chemistry, and then I was like, okay, I'll just double major in civil engineering and environmental engineering. And then Michaela was like, why don't you just major in uh, what is it called, chemical engineering? engineering. (laughs) (laughs) Michaela told me to major in chemical engineering, and I haven't looked back since. And now you're getting my doctorate because of (laughs) you. Thanks, dude. You're welcome. <laughs> but yeah.
2: That, so that's awesome. Uh, I I have to ask, and maybe I've uh, I've multiple questions off of this. Um, yes. Uh, number one, if there wasn't a lot of APs, I'm guessing your charter high school focused on something else to help differentiate it from the rest of the country and and help you get into colleges. Like, what what do you think differentiated like your experience from? like a traditional public school experience.
1: I think the smaller classroom size was really what differentiated our school from others. And I know there are other schools that have small classroom sizes, but that was like the the big thing that I noticed because there was a lot of one-on-one time with my teachers. It was a very community-based school. We had a very, very weird culture. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Saxon textbooks for high school math. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... All of our textbooks were written by John Saxon. I can't believe I just remembered his name, but that was his name. And we literally had a day before Thanksgiving break called Saxon Day where we had the entire day off from classes, but we would all go to the auditorium. And there was basically a giant like talent show dedicated to math skits. So, for example – Every year we had a teacher, his name was Mr. Enderman, he would write a musical that was based off of a popular Disney movie, but related to math, so I starred in the Beauty wow, and the Beast gosh. one, and in well, I was the mom, but instead of whatever her name was, I was called Mrs. Graff, and I dressed up as a giant piece of graph paper, and I sang a song in front of the whole school, so we had a day like that and we had a lot of different days like that where we would really celebrate like these quirky things in education. So I know that like colleges don't really care about that, but that kind of community was really really beneficial for me and made me love learning in high school. Yeah, that's basically my high school in a nutshell.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Thank you for for sharing that and like I think what you just said, the love of quirky learning, like like that Is way more important than AP classes, yeah, like for sure. And like that's like I'm. It's so hard for me. I got my boys are very different. My fourth grader is like a lot more like likes to be compliant and likes to follow the rules, and so he actually thrives in a school system. Like it's good for him to be back in public school uh, because I was homeschooling my boys for a year. Mm. Um, My middle son like is super curious, like loves asking questions. Like like our homeschool day would be like going for hikes. And he would just ask like, Hey, like, what's, what's the science behind like the, like the way this plant is growing. Like, tell me a little bit about like the physics of how this water's flowing. Like he just loves asking questions. Um, and so he's now in like a traditional classroom. He's like, dad, I, like this is so hard. Can we just go explore and like ask Aww. questions? And I'm like, so it's hard. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's hard because my wife obviously is more traditional, like really wants to have like my, my boys to be in the community, to have friends, mm-hmm. which I totally understand and is important. Um, but I'm also like, I we can't sniff, snuff out that curiosity and that right love yeah. for learning. Um, so yeah. But I, I, my second question, Kim, yes. I'm curious. So I actually stole a huge piece of curriculum from UCI, uh, the chemical <laughs> engineering program, because okay. for years, like, like, Michaela, like, I never taught chemical engineering at also, like, oh, no, because right. I just couldn't figure out how to integrate it in the curriculum.
1: Yeah. Um, so
2: that was like one of my challenges. I was like, okay, chemical engineering is like a big chunk of engineering. I want to expose my kids to it somehow. Yeah. And I did all this research, and then I was like, I found this article about this UCI professor who's like starting an intro chemical engineering course through coffee. And I'm like, huh, that sounds fascinating. And so I bought his book and I adapted it for. Our high school, where we I taught chemical engineering through coffee, and so yeah, I'm curious. Did you use? Did you take that class, or is that not a a class there anymore?
1: I did not take that class. I've never heard of that. Yeah, Yeah, who was the professor? professor?
2: Um, I don't have the book anymore. Let me shoot. Let me see if I can find it real fast. I, I can look it up. So it was fascinating because I like he I actually reached out to him and I I uh, like picked his brain on like what I could change huh. and how I can make it for high school yeah um, and I th- I thought he was like maybe it's famous in the engineering education STEM education circles but I was like I thought he was pretty famous for his uh, his curriculum that he developed um, and I, let me see if I could find his name but.
1: Uh, I would love to read this book because actually, I never heard of that class in my entire four years being there. Um, but I've always wondered like how can because I think it's great first of all that you want to implement chemical engineering in your curriculum because, like you said, that is like a huge chunk of engineering. and I feel like it's kind of hard to do because a lot of times when you think of these after school programs where people or kids in the inner city are um being taught things in STEM, it's always, almost always like coding or robotics. So, you know, that's electrical, mechanical engineering, but you can never really show any aspect of chemical engineering because it's really hard. So I'd be curious to know, like, how did you cater it to high schoolers?
2: Uh, yeah so it was it was hard because number one, I didn't drink coffee at the time um, when I first <laughs> started it um, and a, a lot of high schoolers don't drink coffee, so right. I, like I thought it was like this accessible uh, medium, um, but nobody really liked it so the first year it was actually horrible in terms of like <laughs> the taste and production of coffee mm. um, but in terms of like uh, like chemical engineering concepts that that we walk through like it was cool to help them realize like, okay, like what is chemical engineering? And I just framed it as like, you, you have some input that is not that useful, but you want to create a process that makes like this, this input way more useful. And so like green coffee beans by themselves, like, humans can't eat, they can't use, but once you design a process where obviously you're roasting the coffee beans, um, you're grinding them up to a certain level, you're using a certain temperature of water, um, obviously a certain amount of, of grinds, etc. cetera, um, you can then start to optimize the process. And so um, wow. obviously like somebody already designed that um, yeah. chemical engineering process. So what makes it a little bit of a challenge is we, we obviously don't have... Uh, uh, the correct like uh, tools to yeah. to go through that process as like a professional coffee um, shop would, or like a professional right. coffee roaster would, and so like a part of the curriculum that this guy put together was. Uh, to use popcorn poppers and to like start to have creative ways to measure temperatures, to uh, figure out like, is the coffee bean getting burnt or is it getting like, like roasted the certain amount of time. Um, and then obviously you have to like have a hand grinder to, and and figure out like how finely do you have to grind it up. Um, right. But like the extraction, like the extraction part of it was like the most interesting because like you had to measure inputs in terms of how much water is going in, how much is actually being soaked into the coffee and not coming through the filter. Ah. Um, And then we actually used a a light spectrometer to actually measure um, in the coffee. We would measure like the parts per million, like how much is actually absorbed in the water. And so um, so he, he like pointed me to like affordable, devices where I could measure all of these kind of input or all these points along the process and how the students can kind of optimize it along the way. Um, and so, so yeah, it was awesome. And, and I may have actually mixed it up. I, I I think there's like two teachers, one at UC Davis and one at UC Irvine. And I can't ever remember who mm-hmm. started it. Um, so yeah, I was wrong. It was, it's actually at University of California, Davis, where this guy teaches. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he, he actually got people to uh, change their major. So he would wow. like, like have non, uh, non-engineering students take the coffee class. He actually increased the engineering, like, I guess, students uh, by a lot, like just wow. one course. That's and, crazy. And it's awesome. Like we, do, we reverse engineer a coffee maker. So we're always taking apart old yep. coffee machines. And wow. uh, we just do a lot of like there's tons of concepts to teach. And thankfully, like, well, what or unfortunately, what, one of the two, I started drinking coffee after the first oh, year because nice. uh, I'm like, if if I'm going to have students doing this, and we like, I actually brought in judges to like taste taste test their coffee. Oh my gosh! I'm like, I got to actually know what good good <laughs> coffee tastes like. So I started drinking coffee actually had one student's mom who actually worked on a coffee farm and was a, a professional coffee taster. So, awesome. so she came in and taught me how to like actually like
1: <laughs> taste so awesome. coffee.
2: But uh, yeah, it's that was like one of my like favorite finds in terms of like how can I get students excited about all of the engineering fields and so that was like my my goal is i wanted to have a chemical engineering project a mechanical engineering project an electrical engineering project and a civil engineering project that way they at least had some like the fundamentals uh knowledge of like okay i I like this one the most i want to go this way um and and yeah that was that was my my goal (laughs) can
1: you Um, understand now Dude, you literally have the greatest teacher. (laughs) That's so wild. Like, honestly, from behalf or on behalf of all chemis out there. Thank you. Like, we need people like you to inspire the youth to join our field. Um, What's the book called, by the way? I really would like to read it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's by, let me bring it up here. So it's called The Design of Coffee and Engineering Approach. Um, and it's by William Riston Part. And I think he's the professor that um, that launched it at UC Davis. But yeah, just look up The de- Design of Coffee and Engineering Approach. And right there, I was like, oh, I'm sold to engineering <laughs> coffee, coffee. It's awesome. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was the, and again, I didn't come up with that. I totally stole that from this guy. And he right. was- he thankfully helped me adapt it at the high school level. Um, And so there are, there's great programs out there, but, but like you said, unfortunately it's not evenly distributed across the country. Um, Kids should have access to this. Like, like why I guess you just buy some Mr. Coffee, start taking them apart and like start letting kids come up with a better way to go from green bean to to coffee cup. Um, And it's like, that's the type of experiential learning. That's the type of like just freedom that students need to have. But again, how do you do that in a school system that values conformity and grades and like not the actual learning? That's the challenge is like shifting the – and it has to be the parent's mindset because that's what I I realized running into during COVID is like so many parents are like, can you just do this for me? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't be at – 30 different houses teaching families like we have to have some sort of partnership um where like parents are like finding these ways to inspire their kids and using their intimate knowledge of their children like they know them better than anybody else like let's bring that knowledge and then let's adapt the curriculum using that knowledge for the kids so that they're inspired so that they have all the resources that they need and that they're actually interested in school. Like every kid should leave their school day saying, I love learning. Like that, yeah. should, like, that should be the only measurement, like yeah, full right. stop, no, no grades, no nothing else, but yeah, um, it'll take a while to get there. One day,
0: one day. <laughs> <Yeah>. maybe. <laughs> That's the dream. Um, yeah, okay. okay. Kim is still shook. I can't. I'm blown away. Well, I'm I'm blown away right now. I just need to take a sip of water. (laughs) Um, so I don't mean to bring the mood down, but I did have one question switching gears a little bit, um, that relates a little more directly to like the topic of, of our podcast is obviously we're here, um, giving our perspective as women in engineering and all the challenges and difficulties that we face. And so, um, I like have recounted on this podcast, like, um, as crazy as it sounds, you're 14, 15, 16, however old you're in high school, but like I had experienced discrimination in my engineering classes, um, at that age in high school. And so I was wondering from a teacher perspective, have you ever witnessed that yourself? And how you go about handling that, I guess, um, and and or supporting um, whatever minorities are facing this discrimination.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, like that was the reality of a lot of my engineering education uh, at Johns Hopkins. Obviously, like I think there, as an electrical engineer, there were maybe two girls uh, yeah. in my class that that majored in electrical engineering. Um, And so they're always the minority. And like back then, like I, I wasn't as perceptive of it. Um, I just was trying to keep my head above water and and pass and and graduate. Um, And so like, I didn't see, like, I I wasn't there to support like those girls. Like Mm -hmm. they were very smart and they did well. Um, So I don't know their experience overall, but as a teacher, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's tough because obviously, as a male engineering teacher, like I wanted to do everything I could to support the girls in our in the class. And Michaela, you can uh, hopefully speak to this. Like yes. I, I did everything that <laughs> yeah. I could to push yep. girls because I knew that like they had an uphill battle. And there's, co- it was constantly like the guys in the class would say, "Oh yeah, Mister, you know you're just saying that because." Cause- they're girls. or am like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, they're girls. And guess what? They have it way harder than you do. And like, <laughs> <stop> <laughs> there. and like, but it's hard, like, cause the obviously teenage boys don't realize that. Right. Um, like they don't realize the broader engineering culture, like that I went through where it was only a couple girls. Um, and there's just so much like small, like, I don't want to say like microaggression things, but there's like yes. small things that, like women have to face uh, throughout uh, society, throughout their schooling that has a negative impact on their experience in STEM courses, their uh, perception of themselves in STEM. Uh, And so that's why I was like, like girls need extra support and they should be Mm -hmm. getting extra support because they have this uphill battle. Um, And like, I would say over and over again, like, like equal doesn't, it never means treated the same. Like all the right. guys are like, well, why aren't you treating them like this? And it's like, okay, like, like they are working so hard. They've like, like, especially the girls in, in my classes, they like put in like so much effort and, and they like go above and beyond. So often it's like, yeah, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt a lot of times. And if they, they do certain things that like, I would, probably not let slide for the boys. Like, like so what? Like that's going to have to mm-hmm. be the way that it is. Um, and some people might say, oh, well, you're like making it too easy on them. Like you're not like preparing them for the future. Um, but I think it has to be that way until like, until there is like more equal opportunities. And, and like yeah. even at the, the private school that I went to, like there was a really wealthy family with three girls and they, the first thing they said is, there's a huge discrepancy in the number of girls in your STEM classes. And so mm-hmm. like right away, like, what are you going to do to make that better? Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, okay, let's build a girls who code club. Like let's have a, a girls engineering like club to build a car. And like, let's do these different things yeah. just for girls because like society doesn't like show girl engineers like at least it hasn't in the past. Like I think that's changing a right. little bit. Um, like that's why Big Hero Six is so awesome. There's a, a mm-hmm. female mechanical engineer, there's a female chemical yeah. engineer um, in the movie. and so I think there there are some better instances showing up. Um, but there is discrimination. I think, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just calling it out. like, again, I, I hope I did a decent job. I probably could have done things better, but it's calling calling out uh, when it happens and making sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, but most importantly, I think it's creating a culture, uh, for the girls to thrive. Um, and like, that's why I'm so thankful of Michaela, like you and your friend group, um, because mm-hmm. like you, you all created that culture where like it was, it was normal for girls to be the leaders oh. in a STEM club, in a STEM course. Um, and the guys, like the guys knew that. Like, like the guys knew that you mm-hmm. all were going to lead the way. And like, yes, there were some some guys that would try to lead and that would like <laughs> work hard as well. Um, but that just became the culture of like, mm-hmm. hey, like yeah. the girls are just on the equal level, if not better than the guys. Um, so it is creating that culture. And I don't know. I, I would turn to you, Michaela. Um, just how did you do that with? like your friends with, with the robotics club, with the STEM classes, because to me, like the culture coming from the ground up is, is probably more important than anything that I did. Um, And I I just fostered, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. No, honestly, I think the biggest support system when it comes to that is other girls. So it was like always a natural connection as soon as you walk and still to this day, as soon as you walk into a room in any sort of STEM or engineering function, it's like you automatically have a connection with any other females there. I remember like to this day walking in my first day freshman year to to first period engineering and it was like Aliyah and I made eye contact and we were just stuck together. Like, you know, because it was like there was us two and maybe one or two other girls in that class and the whole year it was like we automatically had that connection and being able to like have that and have that support um, of just each other I think was really important. So, but no, I agree. Like, you know, you did as much as you could, I think. Um, all I can speak to is that program, but um, it, it's definitely didn't go unnoticed that you were supporting us and being there for us when you could. But yeah. but it's hard, it's hard. So that's why I was just curious from like a teacher's perspective, because obviously I know what I've gone through, Kim knows what she's gone through. Right. Um, but you can only do so much, you know, so.
2: Right, and I, and I think that it also comes down to role models. Like I think, Michaela, you and Kim, are doing a phenomenal job with this podcast and showing girls Aww. like, hey, like you could do this, like, and so I think role models are huge, yeah. um, and and I think mentorship is huge too, and I think like that's something that is growing. So, um, and this may may give both of you an idea of what maybe a future education company might look like, mm-hmm. um, but but like for an example, like I work for this company called the Spike Lab where it's one-on-one coaching with students uh, to build what we call a spike. But basically, it's just a, a big project um, that can kind of set them apart throughout the college admissions pro- process. And so okay. um, so basically, we spend um, however much time it takes to, to like identify a problem, go through the uh, design thinking process, like go like use whatever engineering they need use whatever entrepreneurship they need um to eventually like build out a company essentially um and, and launch this this project but it's one-on-one mentoring um obviously like we have to figure out how to scale that up so more people have access to it um yeah. but like to have like female engineers mentor students interested in stem like one-on-one like whether it's like a um, some sort of, uh, program like that. I think that would be huge. And I think that would again, show girls that it's possible and that, yeah, they have someone that they could like look to and who's gone through it and and how to handle certain situations. So yeah, I think it it just takes like some entrepreneur thinking women to like lead that charge. Um, and again, I would, uh, like love to help out in any way I could about that, but again, I I didn't experience it. So I I don't, i would I would turn to both of you to help out with something like that,
0: yeah, well, we always say that we've had several guests on, and we and we always cl- try to close out our podcast by asking what you think um both men and women can do as an individual to basically make an impact on the the field and to basically bring awareness to the discrimination that people experience, all different minorities. And we've had a lot of people say that like one of the most powerful, a lot of women say that one of the most powerful thing is men, like uh, male advocates. And so I can attest that you are one of those. And so we appreciate that. But I I would ask you the same question, um, what you think people can do. Obviously, you know, it's like companies can only do so much. Schools can only do so much. But what can an individual do for themselves and for others? Um, to bring awareness to the problem?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a, such an important question and, and such a difficult one. And yeah. I, like I like my mindset always comes back to education. So like that's where my passion lies. That's why I think the most impact can happen. And I think the earlier we can educate kids uh, like that celebrates diversity, that celebrates different experiences, different ways of thinking, like the earlier we can do that, the better. And And specifically when it comes to STEM, Like the earlier we can help, like students realize the power of diverse thinking in STEM, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly and how like if 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 kids can get like become a part of a team that's in a STEM field that has a diverse background, like you literally can build the future. Like do anything here. that's all you need to tell these kids. Like, if yeah. we can somehow translate that to everybody and say, "Hey, it's good if you have yeah. uh, different genders, different races, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic status. Like, it's really, really good if you have a team that has these different perspectives, that has a STEM interest in STEM." And once you have that, guess what? Like you could build the next SpaceX, whatever it is. You can build mm-hmm. these companies, these that have like world changing impacts, um, or you can solve a more local problem if you want to, but you could build the future that you want. And so I think like that's like, if we can get that message to kids in a yeah. way that translates um, and that allows them not only to hear it, but to do it. Like, right. so, like we have the technology, we can connect kids across the world, across the country, like we can have boys and girls, like collaborating in a much like safer controlled environment that celebrates those things and allows them to learn STEM. Like we, we have the technology. The question is like, do we have the will to like actually make it happen? And I hope we do as, as a country. And I hope we, we can figure out like the, the hurdles to jump over to make it happen. Um, But yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it is a huge need and we need to, to drive that point home versus like, well, how do we get kids to raise their reading and, and math right. Right. Let's let's focus on what's most important here. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. That's a, my long answer. Sorry. Hopefully that helps. No, no,
0: that's no. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, this has gone on long, which is good. (laughs) We had a lot to talk about. That's good. I honestly was so happy. Like, it was just so good to talk to you. And, um, this was like, probably one of my favorite episodes so far, because I just think it's really interesting to get a different perspective. Having, I think, a teacher perspective and a father perspective, all of that is really unique. And it's been just a really interesting conversation. So thank you, Mr. know yes. You're always going to also- be Eno to me. I'm sorry, but thank you <laughs>
1: for, for joining us. Uh, yeah, Especially because I'm in school right now, I've been feeling pretty burnt out, pretty down. And I think talking to you has just been very refreshing because you talked about how you hope your sons like continue this curiosity they have through life and I think that that's something people lose a lot in their adulthood and I kind of like lost this passion I had for learning so talking to you just kind of helped me regain it so well, I really really thank if you, you some Eno awesome. quotes? we got a whole document just print some
0: out put them on here <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes and, and I'm always here so, thank you for having me this has been so so much fun and yeah I'm always here to support both of you and help out I any, can. any way I can. Um, so yeah, I'm always happy to You're come back best. or just, or just yes. chat in, in any Yeah, <laughs> definitely.
0: Definitely. I'm Thank sure. You. Yeah, no, this has been, this has been great. Thank you.
1: Um, Kim, you want to close us out? Yeah. Well, first let me say, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, unfiltered PDCST. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And with that being said, my name's Kimberly. My name's Michaela.
2: My name's Steven.
0: There we go. And And this this is Unfiltered. Unfiltered. (laughs) Awesome. Good job, you guys.